title of my message today is called The Shame Game. The Shame Game. We'll get to that in just a few moments. But right now, I want to talk to you about a guy that I grew up with and idolized who said he was the greatest of all time, Muhammad Ali. Show Muhammad up there. there. Cue the slide. Anyway, there he is right there. Wake up back there, wake up. <laughs> Muhammad Ali, arguably the greatest fighter of all time. He was amazing. If you're too young to remember Ali, go to the YouTube and, and just check him out. He was an amazing, an amazing fighter. Basketball. Who's the greatest of all time? Who's the GOAT? Some would argue Michael Jordan. I would. I would. Michael Jordan had no weakness. None. He was a total package. He dominated year after year in every category imaginable. North Carolina's finest, MJ, Michael Jordan. And let's not forget football. We love football in Texas. There he is, Mr. Handsome Tom Brady. 84 years old and still going strong. Golly, that convicts me. Man, I need to go work out. But he's arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. Now, when I was young, when someone called you a goat, that wasn't a good thing. Today, when they call you a goat with all caps, that is a very good thing. It means you're the greatest of all time. The goat. So, as we Look into our message today, and as we open up this brand new series, I want us to ask this question. If we look at the most influential book of all time, the book that has sold billions of copies around the world, the book that is the perennial best seller every single year so much they don't put it on the New York Times because it's just a given that this book is going to be the number one bestseller. It's been translated into more languages. And the name of that book is the Bible, God's Word, the Bible. It is the goat of books, whether you see the Bible as God's Word or simply a book that sold billions of copies. It's the Bible. In the Bible, there are 66 books in total. 39 old and 27 in the new. If you take all the books of the Bible and tally up the chapters, there are 1,189 chapters. That's a lot of chapters, isn't it? 1,189 chapters. And out of all those chapters, we've decided and come to the conclusion with many scholars and many lay people that the greatest chapter of all time is Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the... No. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, maybe. John chapter number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God. I could make that argument. But most people will say that the greatest, most comprehensive chapter in the entire Bible, the GOAT, is Romans chapter 8. 8 is great. 
eight is the goat. And so we are going to just camp out in Romans eight. We're gonna camp out there for a few weeks and just allow this book to just roll over us like a wave, to influence us, influence us in a very profound way. Romans eight is, if you remember the song when you were little, deep and wide, deep and wide, deep and wide. It's deep, but it's also wide, it's practical. It's practical, but as we apply it and allow it to get down into our soul and spirit and lives, it is also transformative. So as we progress through this journey, as we progress through this greatest chapter of all time, it's my prayer for you, prayer for me, that we will grow, we will become better dads, better moms, better students, better leaders, better men and women and young people who seek to make a difference and serve the community that we're in right now in this very moment. So I am stoked, I'm fired up, I can't wait to dive into Romans chapter eight. 39 verses, Romans eight is great. That's where we start right here today. I was watching a TED talk recently, and uh, this TED talk was, was, was interesting. It was a, a lady that was like in her late 30s, and she had a, had a lot of struggles in her life. And one of her struggles in, 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 in this particular TED talk video was the fact that she was speaking in front of other people. She said she was so stinking nervous. And that's one of the most frequently asked questions I get is this. People say, Ben, do you still get nervous before you get up and preach and speak? The answer is yes. Absolutely, I do. When I stop getting nervous, I will quit, right? Yes, I get nervous, of course. So she was very nervous as she was giving this TED Talk, and she started talking about her life story. And her, her story was about, you know, what she learned in rehab. She was in rehab because she had substance abuse problems, she had an eating disorder, and she had some mental illness issues. So she had a lot going on. She had a lot to overcome. And she said as she was progressing her way through this, this rehab and as she was talking to other people that were there with her in her small groups, as she was talking to her counselor, she said, you know, once they got through all those external things that were going on in my life, they found out the real problem in my life, the deepest problem in my life was shame, 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 shame. And shame is a, a sense that we simply don't measure up. Shame is this, this feeling, these thoughts that we have that we simply are not quite good enough, that we haven't made it. Or shame is that sense where we simply feel unacceptable, we feel dirty, and we feel like if people knew who we really were, that they would reject us. I think her experience, so maybe uh, you haven't struggled with what she struggled with, maybe you have, but I think her experience rings true with so many of us. Behind it all, the real issue is shame. And a lot of our shame exists because of the incongruency of who we think we should be and who we are. What we present to people and what we really are inside and what we are when no one's looking. 
Now, if Romans 8 is great, if it is the goat and, and the greatest chapter in the Bible, the most relatable chapter in the Bible is its next door neighbor, Romans chapter number seven. So I wanna read you a few verses from seven. I wanna go through a little bit about what this guy was struggling with. Perhaps you can relate to it. Romans seven, verse 15, and then we'll get to eight in a second. Paul writes, he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. For I know the good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. How many of you honest people can relate to that passage in Romans 7? Have, okay, we have about three or four. Oh, now everybody, everybody else who's not raising their hand is in denial, lying. We all have a sense of right and wrong that's built into us. We all have a sense of a, a moral conscience. And we know what's the right thing to do most of the time. And sometimes we wanna do the right thing, but instead of doing the right thing, we do the wrong thing. And the things we want to do, the habits and discipline we want to develop, we do the opposite. And we get caught in that cycle, don't we? And when we get caught in that cycle, when we do the things we don't wanna do and the things we don't wanna do, we do, okay? When you get caught in that cycle, that produces a lot of guilt in our life. And guilt is real. There's real guilt and there's false guilt, but real guilt is when we don't live in line with the moral compass that God has placed inside of us. That produces guilt. Guilt is I've done something wrong. And I have, and we all have. We've all done things that are wrong. We've said things that are wrong. We've chosen to be selfish. We, we've, we've, you know, caved into the dark side of life, the dark side of our personality, and we have done things that are wrong and we're guilty. On the other hand, a lot of us times, because we don't live up to our standard, we do these things, we're caught in this kind of cycle, is we feel a sense of shame. Shame. I don't measure up. I'm not good enough. I've done some things I'm not proud of. And we feel shame. We feel alienated. We feel isolated deep down inside of us. And so what happens to us is when we feel this sense of shame, when we sense this, uh, this guilt, what happens is all of a sudden we have this cloud of condemnation that seems to hover over us and follow us wherever we go. It's like the, the cartoon character Pigpen, if you remember, you know, help me out, that had that kind of cloud of dust that followed him. We all have that kind of cloud of condemnation that follows us. We have that voice inside of us that I call the shadow voice that whispers to us, that says we're not good enough, that says we don't have it all together, that says if people found out what they were, I was really like, that they would reject me. 
And so this cloud of condemnation, that voice of condemnation speaks to us, whispers to us, shouts to us at times. And so what do we do? We cover. <laughs> we cover and then we try to run out from under the cloud of condemnation. So, hey, I'm gonna go perform, it's what I'm gonna do. I'm, I'm, I, I try perfectionism. I'm gonna crush it at school, I'm gonna crush it at my job, I'm gonna crush it in my career, I'm gonna make my way up and, and I'm gonna you know, get to a level of success or make enough or have enough stuff or, or look a certain way and then once I have these things and once I achieve these goals, then maybe that cloud of condemnation and that voice, that shadow voice will stop speaking those condemning words to me. But we get there, or we're striving to get there, and the voice in the cloud is still there. I see this a lot in the church. A lot of people try parenting. Okay, I, I'm, you know, I'm gonna be the very best parent I can be, the very best mom and dad I can be. And listen, I encourage you to do that. I am pro-parenting. But you can't look at parenting as your savior that's gonna rescue you from condemnation and make you feel better and accepted and justified. I see that a lot. I see a lot of parents that are unbelievably successful and they're, they should write parenting books the first 15 years. They're just, thank you, some of y'all got that. The first 15 years, they're killing it. But then something happens to one of the kids or two of the kids or all the kids and they're not living in line or behaving the way you think they should or the way you raise them and the guilt and the condemnation come down upon you because you were looking to your kid's success or spirituality as a means of salvation to live a condemnation-free life. Where else do we turn? Some people say, forget about it. I don't want these feelings of shame and, and guilt and condemnation. I, I want to get out from under the cloud. I'm just going to do a swan dive in, in, into, you know, the pleasure pool. I'm just going to chase pleasure. Whatever that looks like to me, whatever that feels like to me, whatever substance I can put in my body, whatever experience I can have or relationship I can have or connection I can have or stuff I can have, and I'm just gonna seek pleasure. Forget the shame and guilt. I'm gonna just lift it up and just live for the moment and live for myself and live for my own happiness. But hey, those of us who have lived long enough and took a ride on the hoo-hoo party pleasure train knows that it's going to crash. We know that the results that's promised by just doing what you wanna do and seeking to have your own fun, your own pleasure, ends in loneliness, misery, and compound shame and compound guilt. All of these attempts at perfectionism, at being the perfect parent, or just pleasure seeking, is an attempt to create a, a savior in our life, a justification to get us out from under the cloud of condemnation. 
What do we do? You heard of the movie, Enter the Dragon, you know, Bruce Lee, the goat of martial arts. What do we do? Enter the goat. Enter Romans 8. Romans 8. Romans 8 spells out for us today in this one small but potent verse how you and I can start living or to continue to live a condemnation-free life. How we can get out from under that cloud of condemnation. How we can stop listening to that shadow voice that's running inside of our mind and head 24-7. Look at Romans 8.1. We'll look at one verse today. Romans 8.1. Therefore, therefore. And remember, when you see that in the Bible, therefore, always ask the question, what is it there? For. What is it there for? What does it refer back to? Therefore, there's, and I'll tell you in a second, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wow, that's where I want to be. I want to be living a condemnation-free life. I want to get out from under that cloud of condemnation. I want to quell that shadow voice inside of me and stop covering my shame and guilt. I wanna live like that. That would be fantastic. The freedom that I would have, that we can have if we can live in that manner. Therefore, what does that therefore refer to? That therefore refers to the first seven chapters of the book of Romans. Chapter number one, there is a God. Romans one, everyone knows there's a God. Whether you acknowledge that or not, God has made himself crystal clear and known through what's made through our conscious and we take that knowledge of God and we suppress it and we run away because we really don't want there to be a God. We wanna do our own thing. Then Romans chapter two, religious people, they're great at hiding behind, you know, you know their religiosity, the rules or the Bible and stuff. He said, you guys don't get it either. You, do, you too have sin and shame. And then Romans chapter three, everyone's messed up. No one gets it. No one is righteous. No one seeks after God, but God has provided a way out for us, a gift, a grace gift, if you would, through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter four, even Abraham, the father of faith, the father of Judaism, the father of Christianity, the father of Islam, even Abraham had to trust and by faith experience forgiveness and a connection with God. Romans chapter five, we were born in this dysfunctional family. We have this endemic sin nature inside of us. We're born in Adam. God sent Christ to transfer us to be, not just to be in Adam, but to be primarily in Christ. And no matter how much stupid, idiotic, despicable, evil, wicked things we've done, if we confess that to him, we are forgiven. Because God's grace, Romans 5 says, is much greater and more powerful than all the sin that we can do. So we're all the sin abounded in your life and growing and, 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 and just making a mess of things and you're running amok, God's grace is bigger and more powerful than that sin. Romans 6, well, that's hunky-dory then. Maybe we should sin more so God can forgive more. Paul says, 
Heck no, don't do that. How we've died in sin, still lived in it. And then Romans 7, but we still are. We're in this dilemma, right? Things I wanna do, I don't do. Things I don't wanna do, I end up doing. What do we do? Who will rescue us? Christ Jesus, our Lord. So God understood our predicament, understood our brokenness, understand our real guilt and our real shame. And God pursued us. God gave us the gospel, the good news that God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. God came on the scene in Jesus Christ. Christ lived a perfect life of obedience under the law, 33 years of perfection, of righteousness. He died on the cross that we could be forgiven, but also too that his righteousness, his 33 years of perfection could be transferred to us. So God accepts me God, because God has already condemned me and condemned my sins on the cross so that I might be forgiven, so that I might be accepted, so that I might be able to live a condemnation-free life. That's the gospel. That's the theme of the entire book of Romans. That's the theme of the goat, Romans 8. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, whether you're religious or irreligious, whether you're a small-time sinner, a medium-sized sinner, or a super-sized me sinner. Doesn't matter, we all fall short, we're all shameful, we're all guilty, we all have this cloud, we all have that shadow voice, and only God's grace and Christ can forgive us and cleanse us and bring us out from under the cloud of condemnation into the clarity and light of God's acceptance. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I want to live a condemnation-free life. How do I do that? Well, what's a, what's a, I guess, a positive way to frame that? It's this. If you know Christ and you've trusted in him, you've turned away to the best you can of, of living for yourself and you've turned away and confessed your sins. If you are in Christ right now, right now you are fully forgiven and totally accepted because of what God has done for you right now. Right now, I am fully loved and fully embraced by the God who knows me and loves me. Right now, if you know Christ, you are fully embraced and totally acceptable and fully loved by the God who knows you and sent his son to die in your place for you. Right now, you can live and I can live in God's glorious, amazing acceptance.
doesn't mean the consequences of your life are going to change. Doesn't mean the circumstances, what you're striving to go through right now, is going to just change. But it does mean, as we continue to roll through this chapter, the GOAT, Romans 8, that you will know that you are accepted by this God who made you and knows you, that you will know that this God is for you and not against you. Romans 8 opens up with no condemnation and it ends in verse 39 with no separation. So I'll pray that this, 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 these truths, this reality of God's acceptance, his love, his power to us in Christ, this acceptance, this embrace, this condemnation-free life will really get down deep in your heart and in your soul and in your mind. We, we, we come to God just, just as we are, <laughs> with, with all of our shame, with all of our guilt, just lay it out to God. God knows that. God knows how you feel. God knows what you've done. God, God, God knows all of that. God knows the, the cloud of condemnation that's hanging over your head, the voice that's inside of your conscience, the shadow voice. God knows all of that, and God has provided us a way out. Many times it takes time, it's a process. But he's provided a way out through this gospel, through this grace, through this Christ who loved us and died for us and rose again for us and lived a perfect life for us to cover us, cover our shame and guilt. Right now. Isn't that great? Right now, there is no condemnation. Right, no, tomorrow, when I get my act together, when I finally get disciplined, when I finally make it, when everything is just right, when everybody's doing and living the way I think they should, no. Then, no, no, no. Don't look at these false saviors. They're, they're, they can't save you. They can't take you out from under that cloud of condemnation and move you into the clarity of God's acceptance and the light of his love. It can't, they, they won't do it. They're false saviors, they're false idols. God did what we can't do. God does through Christ what these other pseudo saviors can't do for us. Now, next week, I want to talk about three ways, three ways that we can apply these realities and truths in our lives. But we'll hit that next week. Uh, my prayer for you really is a song that a guy by the name of Johnny Nash, he's actually was a Houstonian, wrote many years ago back in the 70s when people were putting out really good music. 
This is my prayer for you in light of the gospel and grace. He wrote, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. Gone are the dark clouds that had me blind. It's going to be a bright, 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 sunshiny day.